Lord, it is indeed great to be in a place where we can hear the rustling of Bible pages as we're able to study your word. A free country, unrestricted. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would make the word of God plain, simple, and encouraging to us. I pray that our hearts would be so totally open so totally undistracted that your Holy Spirit would have free reign. In Jesus' name, amen. While going through Second Chronicles this week, I came across a verse that, quite frankly, astonished me. I'd never read anything like it, and as I did a study on it, I was uh, pleased is what the Lord showed me, and it was burning in my heart to share it this morning. In verse 31 it says, Regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew himself in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. Now this is a passage concerning one of the kings of Judah, King Hezekiah. And we're going to look at his life today and look at this particular portion of the scriptures and compare his experiences with real-life experiences of different people. And I'm going to read to you three different quotations that people have experienced and see if they don't match our own. There are times when God is hes close to us. Not that he's not close to us at other times, but there are times when he's obviously near, when we sense his presence in an unusual way. Then there are times, quite frankly, where it seems like God has gone on vacation. That is, we ask, where's God? Especially in times of affliction, suffering. We don't hear from Him. We've prayed. We've confessed our sins. We've may even made a few up just to make sure. We'll do anything to have an audience with God and to feel the presence of the Lord. And there's sometimes where it's just dry, dry times. Then, of course, you have heard people use this. I've used it, you've used it. This saying, God really spoke to me. Now, the average unlearned person who doesn't know Christianese yet will obviously ask this question, what do they mean God spoke to them? Did he come over the radio waves and say, excuse me, this is an interruption? This is God speaking? Did he knock on their door? Did they have a Damascus Road experience where they were knocked off something, God got their attention, looked at them in the eyes, and spoke audibly, physically? Now, of course, we don't always mean that, but a lot of people don't know what we mean, and they get confused when we talk about our experiences with the Lord, and they think, now, how come I don't have those experiences? What does it mean when that guy just said, the presence of the Lord, and I really sense the presence of God? How come I don't sense this mysterious presence like they do? There are times, folks, when you will be able to say like David, in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Or like David when he said, Lord, where shall I flee from your presence? Where shall I go from your spirit? No matter where I travel, I know that you're there. There are times of almost euphoria when we meet together. 
And we can sense a special touch from God. But what about those other times that the scripture also speaks about? When David cried out, How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself from me forever? Or Isaiah who said, You are a God that hides himself. Or Job when he cried, Why does God hide his face from me and regard me as his enemy? Those men voiced something that I think we go through, but we're a little bit afraid to admit. Because, after all, spiritual people are always just full of bubbly joy in the presence of the Lord. They voice something that is very real. Times of incredible fellowship, times of dryness as well. Psychologists tell us that most neuroses that develop within human beings begin with a basic frustration. The basic frustration being the person believes there must be something more to this or to life than what I am already now experiencing. Hence, with many Christians, as they look at other Christians' experiences or God spoke to me type messages, uh, they begin to think, Why is God real to everyone else, but he is not real to me? I need to retract a statement that I've made, or better yet qualify a statement that you have heard many people say. I've shared it. And that is, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? Well, yes and no. It's not always us who move. Now, if you've come before the Lord and you're not sensing His presence, and you're going through a dry spell, well, maybe you did move, but maybe God withdrew Himself for a specific purpose, and we examine that purpose today. Now, it's regarding Hezekiah. And without probing all of his life, most of us are probably interested, what kind of a guy was Hezekiah? In other words, what were his experiences with God? What kind of times did he enjoy with the Lord? I mean, it says he withdrew, God withdrew himself, but what was his life naturally, normally like a lot of the other times? Turn back a couple chapters to chapter 29. It talks about Hezekiah becoming king when he was 25 years old. Verse 2, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. This is an Old Testament rhetorical way of saying he was righteous. That's the kind of a man he was. In verse 10, Hezekiah says, Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, a God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. He was committed, wanting to make a covenant with the Lord his God. In verse 27, Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offerings on the altar, and when the burnt offerings began, the song of the Lord began with the trumpets, with the instruments of David, the king of Israel. So all of the congregation worshipped, the singers sang, the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present bowed down and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer, and they sang praises with gladness. They bowed their heads and worshipped. Verse 36, Hezekiah and all of the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. 
Well, we can learn a few things about him. He was righteous. He was committed. He enjoyed times of beautiful intimacy and worship with God, where he himself was even amazed at how God prepared the people. He was full of joy and rejoicing. I would say that describes a man who has some incredible experiences with God. If you turn back with me to the book of 2 Kings now, chapter 18, we get more insights on his personality and his experiences. It's a parallel passage. It talks about Hezekiah doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But in 2 Kings 18.5, it says, He trusted in the Lord God of Israel. Verse 6, He held fast, that is a tight grip of commitment to the Lord. He did not depart from following Him. He kept His commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 7 is where I want to draw your attention. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. Hezekiah was truly a remarkable individual. If he was living in 1987, he'd be a really neat Christian man, a leader, had great times with the Lord, spiritual worship, commitment, a righteous life. It says that God was with him. That was the secret of his life. He enjoyed God's presence. Reading on more in the passage without going through all the verses, God performed wonders for Hezekiah. For there was a time when the enemies of Israel surrounded Jerusalem. The Assyrians, whom Israel had never defeated, in fact, nobody defeated the Assyrians, and the Assyrians are outside the walls threatening to destroy Jerusalem and the king, telling the people not to trust in God. Shaking the faith of the people. Hezekiah goes to his knees and he prays. Lord, please give me strength. God, please do something. No sooner did he pray than the prophet Isaiah comes trucking in the palace saying, Hezekiah, God has heard your prayers. They've reached his ears in heaven. And he gave him a word of prophecy that God would overthrow the Assyrians. And indeed, God sent an angel who destroyed 185,000 Assyrians. Now later on, Isaiah walks into the courtroom of the king and he says, King, I have a message from God. Thus says the Lord, get your act together. Well, King James says, get your house in order. Because you shall die and not live. It's time for you to go be with the Lord. You're going to die. Hezekiah turns to the wall and he begins to cry, Oh Lord, please, I'm a nice guy. Let me live a little longer. Isaiah was walking out and God said, stop, go back and tell the king I've granted his request. That I'm going to add 15 years unto his life. Now, I don't know if you have ever experienced a physical healing or not. I have. The joy that overtakes a person when a request like that is granted is unbelievable. Imagine knowing you're going to die and God heals you and you live 15 extra years. Can you imagine how close Hezekiah felt to God at that moment? How full of thanksgiving and joy the fact that God was present in answering his request? You know, there are perhaps no greater times than understanding the presence of the Lord than during a physical healing or a supernatural manifestation. There's some people that are just in worship. We've had some time at communion nights or afterglows where God has physically touched someone. And there's this, whoa, 
feeling like God just walked in the room. Look at that. We saw this person walk in. Look how God touched him physically. That awareness of the presence of God. So Hezekiah's life, he lived as a king, but he enjoyed periodic times of close intimate worship, the blessing of God, words of prophecy, a physical healing. He enjoyed the presence of the Lord. Now, God is always with us. Always. God has an attribute we call omnipresence. That's, that means He's always everywhere. Now, sometimes we talk about the Lord's presence is in this place. Well, it's always in this place. But we recognize there are times when it's much more obvious than at other times. Where we recognize, we sense, we feel, if you will, that God is with His people. Like Jacob, when he was running away from home, he was camping out one night and he saw a vision from God of the angels of God going up and down on this ladder to and from heaven. And he woke up and he said, the Lord's in this place. And I didn't know it. I mean, I know it theologically, but I really didn't know the presence of the Lord like I do now. Man, those are great times. I have a quote with me from a a man who is a lawyer turned preacher. His name was Charles Finney. And after his conversion, he describes this experience of sensing the presence of God. He walks back home into his law office I closed the door and turned around. My heart seemed to be liquid within me. All of my feelings seemed to rise and flow out. And the utterance of my heart was, I want to pour my whole soul out to God. The rising of my soul was so great that I rushed into the room back of the front of the office to pray. There was no fire. There was no light in the room. Nevertheless, it appeared to me as if it were perfectly light. As I went in and shut the door after me, it seemed as if I met the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. It did not occur to me then, nor did it for some time afterward, that this was wholly a mental state. On the contrary, it seemed to me that I saw him as I would see any other man. He said nothing, but he looked at me in such a manner as to break me down to my feet. I have always since regarded this as a most remarkable state of mind, For it seemed to me reality as he stood before me. I fell down at his feet and poured out my soul to him. I wept aloud like a little child and made such confessions as I could with my choked utterance. It seemed to me that I bathed his feet with my tears and yet I had no distinct impression that I touched him. No words can adequately express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. And I do not know, but I should say, I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. Man, it is so neat when the Lord at specific times in our lives makes His presence known to us and we walk away thinking, wow, the Lord is so real. But it doesn't always happen. That is not always the norm. As you look at 18.7, In 2 Kings, it says, The Lord was with him. You might want to keep a marker in this portion of the Bible and go back to our text in 2 Chronicles 32. The Lord was with him. In verse 31 of our text in 2 Chronicles, God withdrew from him. Same person. God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. 
This word withdraw means to loosen, to permit. God did not leave him in the sense of leaving him permanently, leaving him relationally. He was still a child of God. God withdrew from him in the sense of supernaturally sensing God's presence. God withdrew from him that he might test him. You know that the same word is used to describe Jesus on the cross when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken is the same word. Even Jesus, who had that permanent relationship of the only begotten Son with his heavenly Father, felt at that moment left, forsaken, barren as the sins were placed upon him. God withdrew from Hezekiah during this period to test him. Now, what period was it? What was the circumstances surrounding his life when God withdrew from him? That's what we want to look at now back in 2 Kings chapter 20 in verse 12. At that time, Baradak Baladan, the son of Baladan, the king of Babylon, sent letters and presents to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. This is the incidents that's described in our text in Chronicles. Hezekiah was attentive to them, showed them all of the house of his treasures, silver, the gold, the spices, the precious ointments, and all of his armory. All that was found among the treasuries, there was nothing in his house or in his dominion that Hezekiah did not show him. Now Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and he asked him, where did these men, what did they say and where did they come from? Hezekiah said they came from a far country, all the way from Babylon. And he said, well, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, they've seen all that is in my house. There's nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear now the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Notice his reply. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word which the Lord has spoken is good. For he said, Will there not at least be peace and truth in my days? The Babylonians come to Hezekiah. Now it says God withdrew himself in this matter. They come, knock on the door. Hezekiah brings him in, shows him everything. Isaiah comes by, rebukes him for it. And you say, what's the big deal? What's the big sin about showing off your house? I mean, if someone comes and knocks on your door and says, can I see your home? Do you say, no, let's, let's meet out on the porch. I won't take you inside. It is polite protocol to show what you have. You take them and show, well, this is what we've done to this bedroom, and this is what we've done to that bedroom, and we're fixing the kitchen right now. You show off, or you not really show off, you just show them your home. I like to take and show people these little trinkets that I've gotten from Israel and India and bore them to death with all these stories. So what is the big deal of Hezekiah telling this Babylonian ambassador, showing him all the things in his house? The big deal, as Isaiah says, is that they were spies, and you just showed the enemies everything that you had. And now they're going to be back and they're going to wipe you out. He made a mistake. I guess that would be like Reagan showing Gorbachev, NORAD, 
our defense systems. Showing him everything that we're doing and the missiles that we have plotted against Russia. Gorbachev would say, this is very nice, Comrade Rani. And what is this button here? Now that wouldn't be smart politically. It wasn't smart what Hezekiah did. But Hezekiah didn't know it. Now this is my point. How in the world was he to know? Why didn't God send him a prophet? He did before. He gave him words of prophecy before about Assyria. He healed him. He intervened miraculously before. God was with him, the scripture says. Now the enemy comes, and Hezekiah doesn't know what's going on. He just shows him off, and they leave. God withdrew during this time. How do you think he felt that day? How do you think Hezekiah felt when he walked home knowing what Isaiah just spoke to him? Don't you think he was a little bummed out? God, where were you? Why couldn't have you intervened and given me a prophecy like you've done before? You were with me. You were close. We walked together. You didn't even give me any discernment. God, I feel so dry, so alone. Why don't you listen? Couldn't you have stopped this, Lord? But God withdrew. The heavens were silent. No prophecy, no miracle, no intervention. God withdrew himself. Why? Was God angry at Hezekiah? No. It doesn't say God withdrew himself, period. Look back at our text. What does it say? However, regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. Here's the great dividing line between a non-Christian and a Christian, between someone who walks with the Lord and someone who does not. When someone walks with the Lord, God has promised to order the steps of a righteous man. That is, God makes sure that good or bad, whatever is dished out to you, God is in control of. Whereas for someone who is not under the control of God, life just dishes out good and bad experiences and it's just whatever comes, comes. For a Christian, they are dispensed like a doctor would prescribe medicine. Good and bad. God is in control. God withdrew to test. The word test means to prove the quality of something. It also means to refine by fire to make the quality of something better. Even as you would take metal and you'd liquefy it, you'd put it over a fire till it would boil and the impurities would rise to the top. In fact, the ancient goldsmiths would boil their gold. While it was in a liquid state and the impurities would rise to the top, they would skim off the impurities. More would bubble to the top, they'd skim off the impurities. And a goldsmith knew that it was a finished product when he could look into that gold bubbling liquid surface from a distance, of course, and see his reflection. Until he could see his reflection, the fire still went on. So it is with us. God will allow certain things, even withdraw to test our hearts, to prove our hearts, so we become more refined in character, not to make us break, but to make us stand. Even as Job said, and when... I have been tested, I shall come forth like gold. When I have been tested, I shall come forth like gold. That was God's intention. 
to take away the feeling of the presence of God from Hezekiah, to take away the supernatural manifestations, to deliberately allow him to go through that dry spell of not sensing the Lord, to test him, to refine him, to purify him. But also it says, in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. What is a man really like? I mean, we're all here this morning. I'll pick me as an example. What am I really like? Oh yeah, I stand up here and say some really nice words from time to time. But what am I really like when I get outside the door and I go home and somebody pulls out in front of me in the freeway? Or I've had a tough day, my wife's had a tough day, Nathan bit the dog, the dog did his thing all over the house, and I come home to that. What am I really like when all of this facade is stripped away? When the testing comes? Or during those dry spells when I feel like heaven is silent and my prayers aren't doing anything. What am I really like then? You know, I used to think, before I was married, that I was a very patient, loving, spiritual person. And all it took is living with someone so close that they reveal your own faults. Not that they have to point them out to you, it's just pretty evident. Your own fleshly nature comes up when you're working or living that closely with someone. And God began to reveal my own selfish character, And the more children you have, of course, the more that intensifies. As there's more demand for your time, more things that catch you off guard and you have to demonstrate the love of God to them. What is a man really like? We don't really know ourselves until the times of testing come. And God reveals the character. comes to the surface. Uh, An example would sort of be like when you were a child and you would uh, take an object that looked smooth pluck out a piece of your hair. And it looks so smooth and silky if it's washed. And then you place that little hair under a microscope. Have you ever done that when you were a kid? And you see the differences? You say, that's my hair? It's got craters in it. It looks so rough. Under the microscope, the imperfections show and they're magnified. It doesn't look smooth and sleek anymore. It looks rough, jagged. So are men's lives. Old Hezekiah looked spiffy on the outside, real smooth and spiritual. But when he was tested, some other things came to the surface. We read what they were back in 2 Kings. He was a little bit prideful, as Isaiah pointed out. Also, when he said, now Hezekiah, your own kids are going to go to Babylon. They're going to be slaves. What was his response? He said, that's all right, that's great. At least I'm not going to get snuffed. At least my hide won't be nailed to the wall. Now, is that a normal response of a father to his children? No. If you got in an accident and your child was hurt, would you walk away going, well, at least I'm all right? Of course not. The natural instinct of a dad is to preserve and protect the life of his children rather than just self-preservation. When I drive down the street and I see potential danger because either someone cuts out in front of me or I am speeding, when I go to put on the brakes, my natural impulse is to put out my right arm and cover Lenya. Now, I recognize that's not going to do a whole lot of good if push came to shove. But it's a natural instinct. When the testing process came, what was Hezekiah really like? His spirituality was superficial. 
The normal, natural values in relationships were lost. He was only concerned about himself, not about his own family. Now, this was a test. It was deliberately allowed by God where God withdrew that sense of his presence to reveal the inner man, the real Hezekiah, the real person. There is a man I'd like to read something about named Alan Redpath. I got to hear him a few years ago. Now, this guy was a powerful minister, had a beautiful family, and in his books, man, he talks about the presence of God. But then he wrote a book recently. It was an afternoon. He just had dinner with his family. Children were all home. It was a family reunion. Hadn't taken place in several years. It was Saturday, so we went out to his study to prepare for Sunday morning, full of joy in the presence of the Lord. And he said, suddenly as I was writing, I lost control of my hand. As I rose to call for help, my legs crumpled under me. My right side was paralyzed. My speech was gone. The doctor came immediately and confirmed that I had suffered a cerebral hemorrhage, a stroke. I had no pain. My mind was clear, but I was completely helpless. Into the hospital, I went for test. During one of these, a nerve at the base of the skull was trapped. I lost the use of all the muscles down my left side and suffered considerable pain for several weeks. I must confess my reactions to this illness were far from spiritual. So often I had preached that we should never ask why in a crisis, but instead we should ask, what lessons can I learn from this experience? And now I was very often asking, why God? Especially since I, it had only been two years at Charlotte Chapel and the spirituality, it seemed like we were on the crest of a wave. The depths of despair to which I sank are beyond description. Sometimes I spent hours a day weeping. I knew God could work a miracle by healing me instantly, should He choose, but did I have the right to expect Him to reverse the laws of nature, which He Himself created simply for my benefit? On the other hand, was this illness a chastening from heaven and not an attack from the enemy? Had the Lord made a mistake in permitting this thing to happen to me? Was this the exception to Romans 8.28, that all things work together for the good of them that love God? Then I found myself being attacked by a tremendous temptation. It seemed as if the devil took advantage of my helplessness to throw everything he had at me. Sinful thoughts, temptations to impurity, bad language bubbled up in a shattering eruption. I remember crying out to God at last, Oh Lord, deliver me from this attack of the devil. Please take me home. He went on to describe how that the Lord did heal him. In fact, I saw him speak at the age of, oh, I don't know, 82 years old last year, a couple years ago, something like that. But during that time, he described the testing process, how God revealed the depths of his heart. When he prayed, but it seemed like heaven was silent, God withdrew. The lesson is obvious. There are times when God shows up be it an afterglow, a communion service, in your own private devotional time, in worship, through the Word, something grabs your heart and you think, oh man, I sense God. Then there's other times where life goes on as normal, you don't have any special feeling, but everything's just average. But then there are those times of dryness. 
And some of you are taken so off guard by that, you wonder, am I still saved? It can be normal. It is normal. God doesn't withdraw saying, well, I'm leaving you alone, but that sense of His presence isn't there. You feel like your prayers are lifeless, and you now have to walk by faith, not by feeling, not by sight of the miraculous, not seeing the healings or hearing the prophecies, but just believing that He will never leave or forsake you. And that is tough. There is nothing more frustrating than going through a trial and not feeling the presence of God and feeling like God isn't listening or going through a time and feeling absolutely dry. Now, there's two things that could be happening. Number one, it could be you. It could be that because of sin, you are separated from God and He does not hear your prayers and you have strayed from God. That is a possibility. The Scripture says so. Or it could be that God has withdrawn from you. He has not left you, but He has withdrawn that sense of His presence to test you and to reveal what is in your heart. Now the question is, what is in the heart? How do you respond at those times? When you can't sense God. When you've tried to break through heaven, but it's like brass. I'm giving up, God. Or God, I by faith reach out to you. You're still here. I still believe you. I trust you. That's faith. That's faith. By way of encouragement, should some of you, and I know many of you are going through those dry desert spells, God will bring you to a well of refreshment. I don't know when, but I know He will. For even as Israel was going through that dry period of the literal 40 years wilderness, from time to time he had oases in the desert so that they could be refreshed. It's like the lady who shared at a church meeting one day. The pastor was having people give testimonies on what is their favorite verse in the Bible. And she stood up and she said, My favorite verse, pastor, is, and it came to pass. He said, dear lady, that's great, but I don't understand. Why would it came to pass be such a beautiful scripture? Well, it's my life's verse, because every time I'm going through a trial and tribulations come, I say, and it came to pass. And I know that they didn't come to stay, but they came to pass. <laughs> there are those times you have experienced them. I want to close with another truthful testimony. A book I have recently come across is written by a person who is very honest about his Christian life, and I've really appreciated it. He describes a time as a Christian when he was in college and was in association with the beautiful fellowship of Christians. These were people who walked with God, who had great testimonies, who had stories of victory, and he loved it. At the same time, he said it was very frustrating to be around those people. Because he thought they were experiencing something that he wasn't experiencing and something was wrong with him. He said, it must be my fault, my flaws, my sins. He says, this is his feelings now. I was supposed to hear his voice in a 2,000-year-old book. I was supposed to talk with God in prayer. But when I read the Bible, I heard no voices. My prayers often seemed more like I was talking to myself. My sense of His presence was never intense enough to form absolute proof of God. And other people's experiences were other people's. 
One inky, blustery night when the wind blew the tree's arms high into the air, I walked for miles, asking God again and again to simply show himself to me. I shouted to heaven to shatter the silence. I did not want to work up a feeling of God. I wanted God to break in on me. He did not. I heard no voice, saw no lights in the sky. I went home to my dorm room and went to bed. And I survived. I did more than survive. I grew. But I did not stop longing for God to be unquestionably real. Real to me. Let's pray. Lord, we know theologically that you are real. We also know because of the changes that have occurred in our lives that you are real. We have experienced times of your fellowship, your reality. And yet there are those desert times where it is dusty. Our prayers seem lifeless. To deny that is to be dishonest. And we see here in your word a man who did have beautiful experiences with you, but did have the experience where you withdrew that sense, that feeling of your presence. No supernatural acts, no words of prophecy, no healing. And you did it to test. Lord, as you test our hearts, may we come forth as gold, like Job said. Gather the impurities, Lord, and skim them off our lives. If the fire needs to continue until that gold reflects your image, let it be so. Continue your work of purification. Thank you that you love us that much to refine us. In Jesus' name.